Once again, welcome. Welcome to our gathering here for the Flagstaff Insight Meditation community. And tonight, what I'd like to uh, do is I want to share with you some reflections uh, about, uh, really, reflections on this, this journey of this path and practice that's inspired by a particular sutta, you know, or discourse. You know, these suttas or these uh, these really in the earliest literature of uh, uh, textual literature of, of Buddhism. And the name of this discourse is the Maha Kosinga Sutta. And you could basically say it's a story. And in this story, there's a group of monastics who they end up gathering in the evening time. And in particular, they end up gathering in uh, the Gosinga uh, solitary forest. In salt trees, I don't know if anyone's seen a salt tree, and I, I don't know if they get the size, but supposedly they can be these majestic tall trees uh, reaching a height of close to 150 feet, you know, 40, 45 meters tall. And they can have a, a huge girth in the sense of being uh, a girth of like 12 feet. And on that evening, Sariputta, one of the monastics that's there, he, he describes the Gosinga solitary forest. He says, the, the Gosinga solitary forest is delightful. The night is moonlit. The solitaries are all in blossom and heavenly scents seem to be floating in the air. So here it is. It's, it's just, it sounds like such this delightful evening that they, they're, they're, uh, they're together in there. And in this group of monastics, supposedly all of them are, most of them, except one, are fully awakened. And, and Sariputta uh, decides to ask them a question. And the question is, please tell me, what kind of practitioner can illuminate this beautiful forest? Please share this with me. And of course, the way I am for probably better or for worse and worse, I don't know. I take this question poetically because I think there's something so poetic, uh, powerful when I take it poetically in the sense of, uh, it feels like Sariputta is asking him, which, what way of practicing brings illumination to that which is beautiful in this world? What illuminates beauty in this world? And namely, what illuminates the beauty of this path. This is one way of understanding the path is it's, it's a beautiful path. The beauty of the path and, and what illuminates how each of us engages in this path. So here all these monastics surrounded by beauty and talking about beauty and sharing, okay, what's, what's the, what illuminates, what's the practice that illuminates the Sala tree forest. And then they respond and they respond each in a way that's aligned with the way of practicing that's actually closer, closest to their heart. So one of the monastics who's known for wanting to practice in solitude is like, well, well, a practitioner who's practicing in a solitary way, a secluded way, oh, they, they would illuminate this beautiful place. They would even bring more brightness to it. And then another goes and points out a different way of practicing or a different flavor. And, and they're like, well, the practitioner that comes to my mind, 
of course, they're talking really about their own practice, <laughs> is uh, one whose practice is really connected and informed by this connection with others, discussion with others. And another, it's like, oh, it's the practitioner who's practicing in the forest. Oh, that's the one who could really illuminate this solitary forest this in this beautiful evening, who illuminates the beauty, you could say, of this path. So they're, they're going on and on. They all have their different practices or quote unquote practitioners practicing in a particular way that illuminates. And even the Buddha chimes in at the end, of course. And of course, affirms all these different perspectives and adds his own, you know, oh, it's the, it's the practitioner practicing mindfulness. And when I slow down with this sutta and really what I try to do is try to imagine the feeling that was there that evening, because it didn't feel like, okay, here's a teaching with these specific practices that, you know, you should try and do, but it, it really did feel like a celebration. It feels more like they're celebrating one, just the journey of this path, that the path is a journey. And here are these practices that take us along on this journey. And also celebrating that the way each of us engages in this path is actually slightly different. The thing that really resonates with our heart might be slightly different from one to another. So a whole kaleidoscope of what is truly closest to the heart of each practitioner. And at the same time, it's happening in community. It's happening in this spirit of commonality at the same time. Difference and a commonality there. And the celebration of that. Oh, cool, look at this in our community here. And a celebration of the journey itself. And so tonight, I, I, I want to uh, be clear that really what I'm going to be sharing with you is more of just a celebration rather than a particular technique. And yet I think it's important to have times to celebrate some of these aspects of the path and to celebrate possibly what all of these monastics are pointing to in their collective discussion around what illuminates what brings even more beauty to the Gosinga solitary forest. And I'm gonna slow down with two aspects that I mentioned. Just to slow down with the fact, you know, possibly that this spiritual path, it's a journey. We are on this journey, the journey of a spiritual path. And the second thing, each of you here, you're going to have your own ways of embodying this path. And I, I, I want to emphasize that because sometimes what can happen, especially if there's one speaker here, is it's like, oh, I get this, but like, I actually engage in this in a little bit different way. I want to honor your sense of that because it's important. We come together with common values and common practices, but they're going to manifest differently in each of us. And it's, it's important to learn that skill of how to allow the Dharma to manifest in a way that's resonant with your particularities. Okay, so the first celebration. <laughs> we are on this journey, this, this 
this aspect of the journey being the, the path being the journey. And, and for me, this path has been and continues to be, it feels like that. It feels like it continues and has been this amazing journey. And it's like when I have that feeling sense of path, this path as journey, it does feel like, oh, wow, I'm in alignment with the Dharma. And the reason why it feels like that is because when I don't remember that, it definitely doesn't feel like that. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, when the mind is hooked, and maybe you can relate to this. Have you noticed when the mind gets hooked about some aspect of your practice, your meditation practice or Dharma practice? And maybe you know some of these thought patterns, right? The doubt, am, am I engaging in this meditation correctly or not? Like, I need the answer. Do I understand the various aspects of this path correctly or not? Am I, am I getting it wrong or right? And there can be a kind of franticness to it. I thought I, I was doing this practice and it was helping with things like my anxiety or depression or my fears. And now I'm not so sure. Did I miss something? I felt like I was getting better, but now I don't know. <laughs> or practicing loving kindness, it felt so alive and now it isn't. Is this really for me? I can't keep up a regular meditation practice. Or it can be opposite. I've had some peak experience. And then there's the thought, oh, this is what the path is about, which is really a narrowing of the path and the practice. And then all your mind is doing is trying to get back to that experience. And then when you don't get back to that experience, then you're bummed. You get back to it for a little bit, you feel good. Then you're not back to it, and then you feel bummed. <laughs> So when I remember, when I remember I'm on a journey, I remember these struggles, like I just mentioned, are actually the journey. They're a part of the journey. And I think this is why it's so important to touch the beauty and wonder of being on a journey. It illuminates the entire forest. It carries me forward. It, it, it touches me in a way that's important to be aligned with this path and this practice. And I, I want to further deepen this sense of journey and some of the elements in it. And I'd like to share with you a poem about being on a journey that, that I, I feel points, at least in part, I think there's other aspects of the poem, but points in point to the qualities of beauty and wonder that come with being on a journey. It's a poem by the poet, some of you might know this great, uh, one of the great Greek poets, um, Constantine Kavafi. And it's a poem of his entitled Ithaca. And just a little bit of background for the, the poem. And so, some of you might know this, some might not. His poem, Ithaca, it's referring to uh, the journey of Odysseus found in the epic poem, uh, The Odyssey. And really, you could, you could explain this epic poem about, about Odysseus's journey. He's struggling and trying to get home to Ithaca, his home. And, and so Ithaca has the symbolic power of true home. And you're going to hear in this poem some references to some of the challenges that Odysseus had to face while trying to get back to Ithaca. Like stumbling upon, unfortunately, the Lastragonians, this tribe of human-eating giants, or the Cyclops, 
this one-eyed monster. In Poseidon, the god of the sea and storms. And all of these caused trouble and misfortune and challenge for Odysseus on his struggle to get back home to Ithaca. So of course, Kabafi's using this back set to, to speak to us. That's what he says. When you start on your journey to Ithaca, then pray that the road is long, full of adventure, full of knowledge. Do not fear the Lastragonians and the Cyclops and the angry Poseidon. You will never meet such as these on your path if your thoughts remain lofty, if a fine emotion touches your body and your spirit. You will never meet the Lestragonians, the Cyclops, and the fierce Poseidon if you do not carry them within your soul, if your soul does not raise them up before you. Then pray that the road is long, that the summer mornings are many, that you will enter ports seen for the first time with such pleasure with such joy. Stop at Phoenician markets and purchase fine merchandise, mother of pearl and corals, amber and ebony, and pleasurable perfumes of all kinds. Buy as many pleasurable perfumes as you can. Visit hosts of Egyptian cities to learn and learn from those who have knowledge. Always keep Ithaca fixed in your mind. To arrive there is your ultimate goal. But do not hurry the voyage at all. It is better to let it last for long years. And even to anchor at the high isle when you are old, rich with all that you have gained on the way, not expecting that Ithaca will offer you riches. Ithaca has given you the beautiful voyage. Without her, you would never have taken the road. But she has nothing more to give you. If you find her poor, Ithaca has not defrauded you. With the great wisdom you have gained with so much experience, you must surely have understood by then what Ithaca's mean. From this poetic view, I feel Kavafi is illuminating some aspects of this path. It's helpful for me at times to get this feeling that that my aspiration or your aspiration for your true home, that aspiration for freedom, for awakening, is giving you this journey. It's so precious just for that. And what is the Ithaca for you that gives you this beautiful journey? What's your aspiration? 
What is that sense of true home for you, for freedom, for awakening? And I love the ending, to surely understand by then what Ithaca's mean. Maybe there's more than one and it changes on the journey. And I've spoken about this in other talks, the importance of being deeply passionate about your spiritual journey, to have a skillful aspiration for awakening freedom. I know for me, this has been so important. It fuels my engagement with the path. So your Ithaca is giving you this wondrous journey, your aspiration for a different way of being or aspiration for your true home. And, and I loved what Kavafi was pointing to, this uh, surprise of may your journey last a long time. To savor the beautiful discoveries of being present, the beautiful discovery of compassion and kindness in all its dimensions and depths. The discoveries of going beyond a narrow sense of self and the whole dimensionality around that. We're sensing into different and deeper ways of being in the world. You know, and it's true, as Kavafi says, you will never meet the Lestragonians, the Cyclops, and the fierce Poseidon if you do not carry them within your soul, if your soul does not raise them up before you. But you will, right? <laughs> That's really what's going to happen, right? There, you will because it's inevitable. And how will you nav navigate these monsters of your mind? And what are those monsters of your mind that you've already come to be exposed to on this journey of yours? especially of the heart and the mind? Is it the doubts, the worries, the fears, anxieties? Feeling like you're always failing, the self-loathing, the confusion, the depression, the loneliness? I, I find it important to pause and to actually celebrate that I'm on this journey. It, it allows me to take this broad view and appreciate all of it. There's going to be the challenges. Poseidon's going to get angry and there's going to be storms. So I just invite you to pause just with that, either now or at times, to celebrate that you're on a journey. What a, a beautiful thing to have in your life. Not always common regardless if right now you're in the grips of Cyclops or not, to celebrate that. And, and I want to point out this takes courage. Journeys take courage. I think of Constantine Cavafy, uh, just him as a person in the time he wrote. A lot of his Poetry came out in the early 1900s. And some of his other poems was a kind of coming out for him. 
with these homoerotic themes in a number of his, his uh, of his poems in an era where it was quite dangerous to do so to be so open about that aspect of his being and yes still it can be dangerous to do so in many current contexts journeys take courage So celebrating journey, we're on this journey. So that's one aspect, being on this journey. And then that other aspect that I pointed to that really was kind of at the heart of the, this Mahagasinga Sutta. All of these practitioners illuminating the Gosinga solitary forest with the kind of kaleidoscope of different parts of the practice that's close to their hearts. And the Buddha confirming this. Each of you have your own way of engaging in this journey. You could say each of you is going to discover more and more your way of illuminating the Gosanga solitary forest. And, and I want to just slow down with this because I think there's an art to this. And it, it also folds into this particular community of the Flagstaff Insight Meditation community. And, and the aim or the aspiration. You could say one of the aspirations of this community is to offer teachings and practices that arise out of this tradition. And hopefully, you know, we're making them at least at times relevant to your lives. And to offer as best we can a variety of voices to help with that. So it is, it's a process of coming together around certain values and practices and honoring a multiplicity of approaches to these practices and values. And the multiplicity also uh, requires a certain spirit on your part, especially this is what I notice when I'm in the role of practitioner hearing teachings, there are certain ways that I relate to that that's so important. I like to explore the practices and reflect on te teachings and to get a sense of how are they going to work for you and your particularities? For example, like I'm going to give you teachings either tonight or across a larger span, and you're going to notice this, hopefully, through your practice. Things are going to resonate and things you're going to have to vary. And part of the skill is learning how to get a feeling if something really resonates. It could be just around when we're doing mindfulness together, the anchor that you use for your mindfulness meditation. Often what I encourage is around the breath. The breath doesn't work for everyone. But sometimes it's, it's important to get a sense of where do I feel the breath in a way that's helpful? Do I, is it helpful for me to feel the breath at the abdomen, the abdomen rising and falling or at the nostrils or the whole body? And in particular, I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of where it can feel kind of pleasant and it's soothing so that the mind can settle and unify. What's effective? And for other people, it's using a completely different anchor, like sounds coming and going or just feeling the whole body. And sometimes for others, not having an anchor in their mindfulness meditation. People and practitioners have different propensities 
And also for me, this is just around this small thing around the anchor. It's changed at different times in my life. I've explored it in different, in all different kinds of ways. But I'm, I'm, I'm allowing my heart to, to clarify what's what's resonating. And practitioners have different propensities. Some some practitioners have a propensity towards the these qualities of kindness and compassion and appreciative joy and equanimity, what's called the Brahma Viharas, or the 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 propensity towards samadhi, or uh, strong mindfulness. Or sometimes it's around other aspects of this path that we don't talk as much about, dharma and action, like community building, generosity, the whole realm of ethics, daily mindfulness. And all illuminate the solitary forest. This is what's so important, because sometimes we look and see, is the way I'm practicing is illuminating or not? And often it's judged upon, you know, one or two people. And we can get lost that way. So this requires that you listen in a particular way. And it's, it's this dance, like the, the way the format that we have here is, you know, there's someone like me in this role right now as a teacher and listening. And then also getting a feeling sense over time, this is the big thing, what feels like a fit. It's like learning how to swim. When I want to learn how to swim, I want to go to someone who knows about swimming. <laughs> That's this is important to me. <laughs> and then um, I really want to try what's being taught to slow down with it, to have patience, to learn those skills. And yet I have to remember that that teacher is not going to might not know all of the various things about me, which at times might need variation in the instructions around swimming. So it's a both and in this way. Also, I, I want to name this or acknowledge this dynamic that sometimes happens with teaching, especially in kind of Dharma circles, is here I am, I'm just one person right here in this little square, you know, in your Zoom, and there's all of you. And there's a certain kind of power dynamic just inherent in this, this format here. And I want to be clear, you, really, we could say that there's some kind of power dynamic in any kind of relating. Power dynamics are not necessarily bad, as long as they're one, acknowledged, and utilize skillfully. But that dynamic also requires something, the, the space so that you feel empowered to get a sense of like, this fits for me and this doesn't. Because again, what can happen is like, it can feel like, oh, a teacher is saying something, so therefore it must be true for my experience. I don't know, <laughs> that, that's what you have to clarify. That, that is the role of the practitioner to clarify it for oneself. What's supportive for you on this path? And not just merely what you like, but what is supportive for navigating the ups and downs of life that lead to freedom. And, and can I get a sense of that, not from my frantic mind, but from the wise mind? 
And I think for me, there's a there's an element of this process of me clarifying the teachings that are given to me that does require a deep trust in this process. Like what comes to mind for me is this, uh, it's an image that comes from uh, a text later on in Buddhism, not, not from Theravada Buddhism, but uh, from this text that arises later called the Lotus Sutra. And there's this image that the, that the Dharma or is the Buddha is like this rain that's falling from a blanket of clouds. This is what's said in the Lotus Sutra. It's like the rain falling from one blanket of clouds accords with each particular species and nature of plants, causing it to sprout and mature and to blossom and bear fruit. So though all these plants and trees grow in the same earth and moistened by the same rain, rain, each has its differences and particulars. So you should understand that the, the Buddha is like this. He appears in the world like a great cloud rising up. I need to trust that when I not only hear the teachings, but I practice, it's the practicing, that it's going to allow these teachings to touch me in a way that's going to resonate with my own particularities. But I need to practice with them to get that clarity. It's not just merely believing or listening, it's exploring this. This is truly what makes the, the solitary forest illuminate is when we have this clarity with our own particularities. And this is going to be a whole process around this. Just one small example of this. I remember after practicing the Zen tradition for years, and I remember I said this, and it, I surprised myself this, around this. I had, I think I had already decided to leave. And, and I remember I was uh, with a number of practitioners. I think we were traveling to another retreat that the Zen master was giving. And um, somebody asked me, so what do you feel like your practice really needs at this point? And I was so clear and I, I, I'd never articulated. It was just like, wow, I've done all this, these years of Zen practice, but I just need more love and kindness. Like I'm not getting this from the Zen thing, not that it's devoid, but the way we were practicing, it just wasn't there. And it was like, I felt it in my heart. This is the practice. Like, oh, I learned all these teachings. They resonated and there's something missing that I need to honor. That's the process. So this is merely getting teachings and practicing that it requires the skill that, that you need to trust that something organic is going to arise and, and share this with you. And I have to say, especially if you're new to the practice, I do think it's important to slow down with like just a particular, like a basic way of doing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness to, to actually get a feel for it. If I get in the swimming pool and I try to do breaststroke just a couple times, then I'm like, I'm over this. It's like I, I, I need to, to have the patience as far as that. I think I did that with freestyle. I was like, I'm over this. So still, I don't know how to do that. But maybe it was my way of swimming. It, it takes some patience to really get a feeling of it. Maybe just as a side note, some of you know my, my partner, Robin. I, I feel like... I feel like this is going to be an objective thing that I'm going to say. Well, it is. 
<laughs> she's, she's offering a course to the very center of Buddhist studies, which I think is a, it's a great course for either getting established in meditation or, or if you're having trouble establishing a regular practice, she's going to be doing a course, which I think is great, just from an objective point of view, of course. <laughs> um, but text me, I mean, uh, put something in the chat if you're interested in it, you can take a look at it. And then lastly, I, I do want to point out again the community dimension to this. And uh, yes, I will, um, I'll put that in the chat. chat. I'll, I'll put a link in the chat when we finish here um, that I want to come back to around this exploration. And especially if it's about practitioners illuminating the solitary forests really in different ways. That yeah, the intention of this community is to come together around, as I said, common values and practices and at the same time supporting differences. So let's take one, this is one that can be really contentious and I wanna bring, bring this up of um, two big arenas. Like in this community, we have this value around non-harming. So training in the ethical value of, of non-harming and training in uh, cultivating a clarity of heart and mind. And there's two arenas that can come up. There can be quite a bit of differences, for example, around eating meat. For some people, not eating meat is part of their training and non-harming. And for others, it's not part of their training. They eat meat. Or around clarity of heart and mind. For some people, it's abstaining from drinking alcohol. For others, it's not. They feel like there can be a sense of having a glass of wine here and there and it not being a problem. And what I think is so important is to come together as community around these values of harming and clarity of heart and mind, and to allow there to be different perspectives of how it is to engage in those. And maybe even disagreements, yet a coming together. So the sutta to me is also an honoring that we might see things differently but we're on the path together. So it's not just, oh, I get to be different. This is so good. <laughs> it's also about how can I tolerate, not only tolerate, but to open to difference, not mere toleration, but seeing that it's supportive and important for community. So may we, may we all illuminate the solitary, the Gosinga solitary forest in different ways as a way of supporting our own practice and community. And may we celebrate this journey that we're on. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.